You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at WeddingtonChurch.org. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 6. The last two weeks, we have been looking at the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the church. And if you've not had the opportunity to join us in those worship services, we encourage you once again, you can go and watch those services. We also have a podcast where you can listen to those sermons so that you can hear the flow of what is happening in this amazing letter to the church. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 6 where Paul continues, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it, that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to elemental spirits of the universe, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have come to fullness in Him, who is the head of every ruler and authority." In Him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Him in baptism, you were also raised with Him through faith in the power of God who raised Him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Him when He forgave us all our trespasses. Erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Therefore, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink or of observing festivals, new moons, or Sabbath. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement or worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows with a growth that is from God. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this will be your message and not my own, through the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen. So each year before Thanksgiving, sometime in November, I have to go get my motorcycle, the little privilege I have on the side, the Harley-Davidson, I have to go get it inspected. Well, it should be a relatively easy thing to do, but sometimes it's not so much. But 
My wife reminded me, you need to get this done, or otherwise there's going to be a penalty of not getting the tag turned in in time, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I found an afternoon, and I was in a hurry, hadn't had much time to deal with it. And whereas I normally have a place that I go with people that I know and people that I trust, I once again went to somewhere that was a little closer just so I could get it done, get back, get back to work, get back to doing the things that I need to do. But it seems like every time I go to this particular place, when I'm in there, they will then tell me, you also need this. Well, before we can do this, you probably ought to have that. And it just seems there's a continual upsell. I can never just go and, and get exactly what it is that I need. There's always, you need that plus this. So the last time that I went, just this past November, I, I rode in, I was in a hurry, I pull in and I tell them, look, last time that I was here to get this done, not only did I get it inspected, but you told me I had to have a tire, I put a tire on it, I've hardly ridden this bike since the last time I was here, so I don't want to hear that I need an inspection plus anything else. And the guy behind the counter laughed and said, got it. And I think for the very first time, I left for the $13.50, which is all that it takes for the inspection. Upselling. It's not always a bad thing. I mean, sometimes I need somebody who will be honest with me and go, hey, I, I know you think you need this. I know this is what you believe, but can I make a suggestion to you? And they may have something that, you know, well, this would be better. And I'm always grateful when someone honest with me is willing to share, you know, if, if I were you, I would consider this or that. But there are some times that people just seem to want to go, the more I can get you to buy, the better off I will be. Well, Paul's kind of dealing with a little bit of an upsell. One of the things that's happening here with the church is that there are some people who are telling the church telling the Christians in the community, you need Jesus Christ plus these accessories. You need Jesus, yes. Jesus is great. But you need Jesus plus. Now Paul's writing to a church that he admires deep, deeply. The church at Colossae is absolutely amazing church. If you go back and read the beginning of the letter, you will hear him talk about their incredible faith. He loves the depth of their faith. He prays that they'll continue to grow in the depth of their faith. He just loves the way they dig in to seeking to understand who Jesus is and what does it mean to be a Christian. He speaks about their love for all the saints and how they love each other. They care for each other. They care for those who are hurting, those who are struggling, those who are poor and others. They're involved so much in ministry and mission that Paul just loves the church. As I've shared with you before, this is not a church that Paul had ever been to. It's not a church that he started. And he had actually never been there himself, but he had heard about this church from their pastor Epaphras, who just loved and adored the church. But there was a concern just like when Paul writes the letter to the church at Galatia and Galatians, one of the things that you'll see is that in Galatia, for example, there were these Judaizing teachers who came behind Paul after he had been there to teach that faith in Jesus, yes, was very important, but it wasn't enough. You needed faith in Jesus, plus you had to follow the letter of the law. You needed faith in Jesus, plus you had to become a, a, a practicing Jew as well. You had to be both. 
And Paul has to deal with that. Now, Colossae is not that far from Galatia. And Paul actually mentions at the beginning of the letter as well, Laodicea, which is again a close-by community. So it seems that it's a pretty prevalent that there were people who were going, you need Jesus plus. But Paul is teaching, you simply need Christ alone. That's the essence. Some are teaching you need Jesus Plus, and Paul is going, you simply need Christ alone. So when he begins writing this letter to the Colossians, and we turn over into chapter 2 and get to this section of the letter, he, he reminds them, now you have received Christ Jesus. This is not a people that are debating it or considering it. They have received Christ Jesus. You are Christians. There's no question that you are Christians. There's no question that you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. You have received the Christ. And he says, so continue to live your lives in him. It's not, here's what you need to go back and do. You're there. It's a continue. It's an encouragement. Continue to live your lives in him. And then catch the words, very similar to the words from Jeremiah when, when God talks to the people of Israel through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, be rooted in and built up in him. Be rooted in Christ and then grow and be built up in Christ. And then he goes on to say, established in the faith, just as you were taught. Just like your pastor Epaphras has taught you and, and you've already received, just encourage you to continue in it. Be rooted in Christ, growing in Christ, established in Christ. But there is a threat. There's a couple threats, actually. It appears, I mean, it's not really clear in the letter to the Colossians exactly what's going on. It appears that there's a pagan threat. I mean, it seems that there are some because it's such a mixed and diverse community. There is so many cultural, there's so much cultural diversity that there are so many people believing in these various gods and the elements of the universe. So you should worship the angels and you should worship, you know, the gods of thunder, throw in a little Zeus and others. And, and so there's this Greco-Roman belief or Greek-Roman belief in these celestial powers. You, you kind of need to Yes, worship Christ in the midst of all these other things. And Paul's going, no. Oh, no. There's no deity in the stars and the sky. There's no deity in these other things. It's in Christ. In Christ, all of this has come to being. Christ was the creator, as we looked last week. He's the one who created all these things. You don't have to look for these lesser things, not when you're dealing with the fullness of God Himself. And Him, the whole divinity of God dwells fully. But then there are these Judaizing teachers as well, these others who are coming behind, just like in Galatia, coming behind Paul, going, Well, yes, you know, it's great that you believe in Jesus as the Messiah, but you still need to be circumcised according to the law and 
Paul's going, well, you've been spiritually circumcised, actually, and you need to follow the letter of the law. You've got to dot every I, you've got to cross every T. Jesus will deal with that with the Pharisees as well. You've, you've got to do all these extra things. Where Paul teaches, and we see it beautifully written in the book of Romans, that we are saved by grace through faith. Romans teaches that you're justified by faith. And in Paul's other letters, you're saved by grace through faith. It's Paul's theology. So Paul shares with this church the case for Christ and for Christ alone. I mean, he's writing to warn them, you are solid in your faith, but there are going to be people that come behind and tempt you. And the hardest kind of lie to ever discern is the truth with a twist. And so Paul's warning them, you're going to start hearing some things, you may already be hearing them, where some people are going to come in and take the truth and, and they're going to give it a twist. Now it's interesting to remember Paul was a Jew. Actually, Paul was a Pharisee. Remember, Paul was Saul, and Paul was so committed to the Jewish faith and the understanding of God, Paul's going, I can tell you all about this because they are me. I was one of them. This was who I was throughout the early part of my life and throughout the early part of my spirituality. I was just like them. I had their same arguments. I actually tried to squelch the church. So Paul, interesting to remember, was an insider. This is not someone on the outside critiquing they, they, they. Paul's on the inside going, I understand these people. I understand this theology so solidly. So he shares very openly, I want you to understand the fullness of God was in Christ. Look at verse 9. For in Him the fullness of deity dwells bodily. I mean, he wasn't just a a good man who was godly. But this was God in the flesh. That God Himself took on human form. Paul loved the theology of the incarnation, that God so loved the world that, that He actually humbles Himself. Read Philippians 2 again. Humbles Himself and takes on human form, becomes obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Paul's going, this is, not, this is not a godly teacher, a godly man. This is God in the flesh. N.T. Wright, again, the scholar from Oxford, says, what he means simply is that Jesus was and is not simply fully human being, though he is, not simply a man remarkably full of God, though he is that as well. He was and is the bodily form taken by God Himself. God in all His fullness. But Paul begins this argument by going, wait a minute, you really need to understand who Jesus is. Now I think that's one of the big things that the church is struggling with today. I know our denomination is struggling with it. And that is an understanding of who Jesus really is. And Paul says without any hesitation, I want you to understand this is the fullness of God. Jesus the Christ is God in the flesh. The fullness of God 
was in him. But then catch the turn, because it's right immediately after that in verse 10, because he then says, so in verse 9, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And look at verse 10, and you have come to fullness in him. You don't need a supplement. You, you don't need an upsell. You don't need Jesus plus something because you have already come to fullness in Him. If you're already full in Him, what else could you possibly need? And Paul then in the Scripture responds by going, you don't have to be physically circumcised, you've been spiritually circumcised, and that's demonstrated as well in your baptism. You see, baptism, especially Paul refers here and alludes to immersion baptism, is the dying of the old self and the rising of a new creation. It's, it's a new life in Christ. As a matter of fact, Ralph Martin, in his commentary on Colossians, says the noun translated putting off, when he says you know, putting off the old self, apodusis is the Greek word, suggests a clean break with the past life. That's, that's who you were. We celebrate now who you are. That's who you were. That was the life you had. But now you're a new creation. You're, you're a new being in Christ. You have a new life in Christ. You see, in baptism, part of the tradition, and a lot of baptism, even still today in some, uh, some traditions, is that someone would come in and they would remove the clothes that they had on, experience then baptism, robed, and then they would put on new garments, new clothes as a way of symbolizing that's the old life, the old self, this is the new life. You'll hear Paul kind of talk about it as well in his letter to the church at Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, Paul says, You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust." and to be renewed by the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You've come to fullness. You've experienced the spiritual circumcision, so you don't have to be led to follow every letter of the law. That was a different covenant. You, you have experienced baptism. You put away the old self. You now have a new life in Christ. You've experienced the fullness of Christ. But then to dot the I and cross the T, Paul says, and you have received the forgiveness of your sins. I mean, he shares with us by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The way you become that new creation when you died and rose with Christ is because your sins have been forgiven by what Jesus did for you on the cross. You've been forgiven. And then he says that record is erased. It's been erased with its legal demands. Think about that. 
that all the things that we've done in the past, and you, you worry, you know, sometimes I was taught as a kid, you know, there's, there's going to be this record book with everything you've done. What's beautiful is, is that the Scripture teaches when we receive Jesus Christ, any record of the past, the record of our sins, the record of our brokenness, the record of our trespasses, it is absolutely forgiven. It is gone. It, according to Paul, has been nailed to the cross. I love the way he says that. The record of your brokenness has been forgiven and nailed to the cross. That's why Paul can say then in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been forgiven. You have been set free now, one of the things that's interesting that Paul alludes to here that we can kind of miss when we read this, you kind of have to dig into it a little bit, is that when, like the Roman government, when the Roman generals would go out and they would conquer, because during this time it's the Roman government who's occupying Israel, when they would go con conquer other rulers, other kings, other lands, one of the things that they would do is they would come back when they came home, there would be this parade with the generals up front and, you know, everybody's cheering and looking at what they've done. And then there would be a parade of some of the rulers and the leaders and, and others who might be chained or, or tied and roped together that are kind of being processed through the town. And the kings would also then you know, be the, the ones who were in, in line so people can go, this was the king. We conquered their king. Look at their king now. Not so impressive now, would you say. It was designed to be humiliating. It was designed to be a public disgrace. It was designed to be a sign of warning. And then what they would do is they would take the king or the ruler of the land that they just conquered and they would execute them publicly in front of everybody so that everybody could see we are victorious. Look at how powerful we are. Now I want you to hold on to that because that's exactly what was being attempted with the crucifixion of Jesus. Now I want you to picture this because here now you have the government, here you have the, the leaders and the powers that be, and, and they now are, are taking Jesus and, and they beat him publicly. They mock him publicly. They spit on him, they deride him, they slap him publicly so that people can see, look at this, is this really your king? This is the king of the Jews? Seriously, this is what you're here to worship and, and to acknowledge? And, and then did you notice they parade him through town, carrying his cross, a, a trail that's now known as the Via Dolorosa or the Way of the Cross. So when you go to Israel, and we're putting together another trip now that will go to Israel, and, and you can make that journey of the, of the Via Dolorosa and, and take the actual journey that Jesus took as He was paraded through town by His conquerors, by the powers that be, by those who were going, look at Him, look at us. And then did you notice that Jesus is executed publicly? Once again, with the sign King of the Jews above His head, so that everybody knows that's really the King of the Jews. Look at who the real power is. 
pause. Paul loves that story because he goes, and did you see the way God turned the tables? Did you see the way that God took something that was designed to be humiliating, designed to be something that, that showed weakness, that, that, that was designed to put Jesus down, and, and what does God do? He raises Jesus from the dead. He, he defeats that cross. He defeats the mocking. He defeats the beating. He, for, he defeats the deriding. I mean, all of a sudden... Again, if you go back to Philippians, Paul will say, and God exalted him, gave him the name that is above every other name. So Paul is saying to the church here, you don't need Jesus plus when you already have the King of kings and Lord of lords, all you need is Christ alone. For this is God in the flesh. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Him, and now you have been made full in Him. N.T. Wright continues to say, the church in our own day still needs to recapture the vision of the supremacy of King Jesus over every other authority. And I love the way John Wesley puts it. John Wesley in his notes on this commentary on Colossians said, Christ is filled with God and you are filled with Christ and the fullness of Christ overflows his church. Christ is filled with God, and you are filled with Christ. And the fullness of Christ overflows the church. Paul says to the church then and the church now, be careful. People are going to try to take the truth and give it a twist. Some will try to challenge you, yes, you need Jesus, but also these things. And he says, you don't need Jesus plus. You just can celebrate that you have Christ alone. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful for your love and grace, and we are grateful for this amazing Scripture. It is a reminder of who we are as Christians. We're not following some weak little godly teacher, but we are following, we are the people of God Himself, and that Jesus, our Savior and Lord, is the fullness of God. It's your fullness in human form. And God, we are so grateful that it was in Jesus Christ that, that we are able to be forgiven, that our sins are nailed to the cross, that we can celebrate a new life in Christ, that our baptism reflects we are new creations, and that Christ and Christ alone is the full and sufficient sacrifice for our sin. And only one we need to worship is you, Christ 
alone. We are your church. Fill us, we pray, with your fullness, your Holy Spirit, and allow this church to spill out the fullness of Christ in your world. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.